Okay, we are in Acts chapter 11. We're going to start reading in Acts chapter 11 from verse 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and the large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So, remember after the persecution of Stephen, there was a dispersion of the, the, uh, of many, many of the, the brethren, except the apostles, it says. The apostles remained there in Jerusalem, but the others left. And some made their way, it says, to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were speaking the word of God to Jews only. That's the only people that they were speaking with. Gentile evangelism had not yet opened up. The door had not yet opened. But as we read now in Acts chapter 11, earlier on in that chapter, Acts chapter 10 and 11, how Peter then had opened the door for the Gentiles to receive also. And it started with one family and their friends, the house of Cornelius and his friends. The Jews had no idea how widespread this opening of the gospel would be. You know, many people have said to me, because I'm a Jew, I was born in a Jewish home and I was raised as a Jew, how I could have become a Christian. And to me, it's just a fulfillment of Judaism. I could just as well ask how a Gentile could become a Christian, because it's so Jewish. The gospel is so Jewish in its message, in its origin. All the early disciples were Jews. Thousands upon thousands of Jews came to know the Lord before any Gentiles ever came into it. It was such a Jewish-oriented thing. And so now it says that in verse 20, there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. So, so Cyprus is, that, uh, is the same Cyprus that there is today, but Cyrene is, is there from North Africa. And they came to Antioch and they began speaking to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So here is an extension of Gentile evangelism. And in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed, who believed turned to the Lord. So we don't know how many it is, but we do know on the day of Pentecost there were thousands, 5,000 on the first day and several thousands the, the few days after, and it named them in groups of thousands of people coming to the Lord on those days. 
Here it doesn't give us a number, but it says it was a large number. Before it says it gave us the number early on during, during the days of Pentecost. We don't know how many, but it was more than ten. It was probably up in the thousands, or even tens of thousands. Many now among the Gentiles were coming to faith. And when the news about them, it says in verse 22, reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So there was some sense of leadership still in the Jerusalem church where many of the apostles still resided. And the news about them was heard and they sent Barnabas off. They they hear that thousands now are coming to know the Lord in Antioch. And they send Barnabas. And it says, and it starts to talk about Barnabas, but it says in verse 23, Then, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were taught, were brought to the Lord. If you look back in Acts, Acts chapter um, 4, It talks about Barnabas. It's a first introduction to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Now, Barnabas had another name, which was Joseph. And and, uh, uh, many many Jews had had two names, especially Jews of of the dispersion had, had multiple names. They had their Jewish name and then they had their Gentile name. And we'll see the same with Saul, who was also called Paul. But verse 36 of of Acts chapter 4 says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we know that this is the same Barnabas because in books of the Bible, when there are people with common names, they will add some other description to it. But we know this is the same Barnabas. His Jewish name was Joseph. He was a Levite of Cyprian birth. So indeed, he was a Jew of the dispersion. He, he, he was uh, 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 from Cyprus himself. And it says he was a Levite. And remember, the people who think that, that the, the tribal relationships were gone by this time in Israel, that's not true. He knew he was a Levite. People who were of the sons of Aaron knew they were the sons of Aaron. They constituted the priestly class. It says in the book of Luke that Anna was of the tribe of Asher. So people still hadn't a tribal identification at this time. Joseph was a Levite, and we had mentioned this before. He owned land. Levites weren't supposed to own land. However, after they came back from Babylon, they no longer had this exclusion of Levites from owning land. And so... uh, uh, it says that, that he was, that, that this word Barnabas means son of encouragement. So he was an encouraging guy. All of us have met people like this, that, that they just overflow with encouragement. That's what Barnabas was. And now it describes Barnabas again in Acts chapter 11. It says that he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is the man who they sent to investigate what was happening among the Gentiles. And it's a good thing that they sent Barnabas and not some, some other old Jewish guy that was a little more stuffy and a little bit more concerned about who are all these Gentiles coming into the faith 
which is within our group. Remember that when, when Cornelius' house came in, their praise was, well then, in chapter 11, verse 18, God has granted the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. There wasn't this mass excitement. But Barnabas, it says, was a good man. He was very encouraged by Gentiles coming in, so they sent him. He was probably saying, send me. I want to go and see these Gentiles. And what did he do? He came there and he encouraged them. It says, he began to encourage them in verse 23, with the resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. He was encouraging them. He wasn't discouraging them and saying, oh, well, you know, you guys got to be circumcised. You've got you to come into the fold of Judaism first before you can become, you know, start walking with the Lord. And to us, that sounds like a very strange thing. Why would anybody tell a Gentile to do that? Well, we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 how that's exactly how the Judaizers wanted it. They wanted all Gentiles coming into faith to first become Jews because that's the way they had come in. They had been Jews and then they came to the faith in, in, in the Messiah. So they expected the Gentiles to follow the same pattern. And there's this huge uh, 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 meeting that takes place in Acts chapter 15 where they try to resolve this. And it was not an easy thing to resolve. Paul speaks, Peter speaks. And then finally, James, who was leading the church in Jerusalem at that time, James, the brother of the Lord, finally says, okay, the Gentiles don't have to become Jews first. But at this time, in Acts chapter 11, because remember, the book of Acts, it says, was written in chronological order. At this point, still many Jews felt that Gentiles had to become Jews first. So Barnabas goes, and he doesn't worry about that. He's just excited about them knowing the Lord. And it's very easy for you and, and, and for me to sit here and to say, well, I, I'd be like Barnabas. I'd be like Barnabas. I wouldn't make them become Jews first. Because I recognize you don't have to be a Jew to, to come to the Lord. I recognize that. I'd be a, a good man. I'd be a good woman, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, just like Barnabas. Well, let me give you another example. How Christians in particular can very much want people to do it their way. And if people don't do it their way, you wonder, oh well, they're really not doing it right. Let me give you an example. In a lot of the circles in which I fellowship, people like to, to pick on, on Lakewood Church and Joel Osteen. Now my family knows the Osteen family, and they are amazing family. Everything that, that you hear about Joel, what a wonderful guy he is, he really is wonderful. In fact, I think Barnabas was a lot like Joel Osteen. I mean, this guy is so nice. Let me give you an example. So, so my wife was bringing some friends to Joel Osteen's church last night because these people were from out of town, and, and it was a, a Hindu couple. And they just love Joel Osteen. They watch him on TV. They live in Ohio. And so Shireen said, oh, I can get you a, a front seat at their church because Shireen knows the family and all she's got to do is make a phone call. They go to the church. Turns out Joel's not there because he's out of town. So Shireen calls up Gloria Osteen, his wife, on the phone. What? Victoria. Victoria Osteen. And, and, and um, calls her on the cell phone and she said, oh, we're just arriving back in Houston. We weren't coming in. There's someone else speaking in the church tonight. We're just getting in from out of town. 
And so she says, Victoria, could you please put Joel on the phone so that he could speak to this person who I brought because he thinks Joel is the greatest. So what does Joel do? He gets on the cell phone and talks to this guy. You may think, well, what's the big deal? Why did he do that? And I'll tell you the big deal. If you are inundated with people coming at you all the time and showing you attention because you're such a big name, you don't stay that nice and willing to take cell phone calls. You say, oh, I would. Well, good for you. I wouldn't. I'm not that type. I just know from myself. As soon as I start, you you know, there's a lot of press and all these things are coming and I get this phone call at work. I mean, I'm not gracious. This guy is really gracious. I love that church. And I love what, what the guy is doing on TV, how many Muslims and Hindus watch that guy and are enamored by him. And I think that he is becoming the face of modern Christianity. I really do, in a good way. Just as Billy Graham was the face of modern Christianity for 40 years. I think it's Joel Osteen. But there are circles in which I fellowship among the more buttoned up, who wear ties, who get very concerned about the growth of Joel Osteen Ministries and Lakewood Church. I don't get concerned about it at all. I'm happy. I'm happy for it. You know, there's people that I will meet working in stores in Houston. And I see them with beaming smiles, and, you know, they'll be working at Wendy's, for example. And so because they're working at Wendy's, I know that they're probably not millionaires. And I see them with this beaming smile, and I, and I look at them and I say, I bet you go to Lakewood Church. And so often they say, yeah, how'd you know? I say, because you've got this beaming smile. But you see how easy it is for a group of people to think, well, we understand exactly the Word of God and how it should be preached. And so if there's all this action happening over there, okay, well, that's all right, but it's off. No, Barnabas just went, he said, you guys are great. Keep on going. Just remember, remain true to the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? How insidious. This feeling of, he's not of my group, he can't be doing it right, can be. Because Christians get caught up in this all the time. I wish I were more like Joel. I wish I smiled as much as he did. You know his, what they call him, they call him the, the, the smiling preacher. Because that's just who he is. My, my son Ben and his son were in school for many years together. And it's a blessed family. I wish I could be more like him. There's so many unbelievers watch him on TV and they love him. They're not intimidated by him. You know, when I speak, I intimidate myself sometimes. I wish I could be kinder and gentler. But that's who the man is. You see what Barnabas did. This was monumental what this man Barnabas was doing. There's these thousands of Gentiles coming to faith. And what does he do? He goes and encourages them. There was a bunch of Jews, there were a bunch of Jews back in Jerusalem, as we're going to see in Acts chapter 15, that resented the Gentiles coming in and said, if you come in, you have to first become Jews and be circumcised. (laughs) This is real commitment here. 
And you have to start following these practices and eating these foods and not eating those foods and all these other things. And it, and, and it wasn't just a very small group of people like that. It was a lot of them. And it is a good thing they sent Barnabas so that that church in Antioch could continue to grow. And what did Barnabas do? Is He went right away and he found Saul who had been sent to Tarsus by the church in Jerusalem had sent him to Tarsus when, they were going to, when the Jews wanted to kill Paul, and he had been ministering there for a number of years. But, Paul knew, but, but, but Barnabas knew Paul's heart and said he, he, he didn't go back to Jerusalem and get one of the, the, the stuck-up guys in Jerusalem. He went to Tarsus, this guy who's ministering and who had, been, had a calling for the Gentiles. And he went and he got him. He says, let's go to Antioch and disciple them in that church together. Because he realized what it meant. And so when I hear people criticizing believers, criticizing other groups of believers, I just want to stay away. I want no part of that. God bless them in their ministry. God use them. I should be more like them. What is their secret to success? I should be more like them. It says... Of Barnabas in verse 24, 11, 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I mean, the, bar, the, the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time with platitudes. It really doesn't. But over in Acts chapter, in, in, in the former portion that we read, in Acts chapter 4, it said, it said that, that uh, Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He had sold his land and he had laid the money at the apostles' feet. He's the son of encouragement. He is a good guy. And then again in Acts chapter 11, it says he was a good man. This was a good guy. Everybody liked him. You know, all of us know people like this. You know, this guy is just a good person. This is what it says of Barnabas. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can you be full of the Holy Spirit? Either you got the Holy Spirit or you don't. No, we've covered this before. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes on the day of salvation. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, comes with particular tasks that God has for us. This man was so filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of zeal, the spirit of enthusiasm, the spirit of the Lord for the tasks that were before him. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, meaning it was so full it was just coming out of him. And of faith. This man really believed something. Look who they sent. Thankfully, he was probably saying, send me, I'll go. And remember what happens when Peter went to Cornelius' house? He brought six other people with him to witness this. Barnabas was probably the only guy that was excited about this. Thousands coming. There's nobody else to bring. Just Barnabas went. So when he found out what was going on, he didn't go back to Jerusalem. There was nobody there to get that would share his enthusiasm for all these people coming to the Lord. He had to go find Paul, someone that was separate from the traditional gang in Jerusalem. Someone that would be more open. Because remember, even Peter, who had witnessed to Cornelius, we had learned in the book of Galatians, that he became hypocritical when he started visiting Antioch. He didn't want to associate with some of these Gentile believers. 
Barnabas knew the heart of the other people there in Jerusalem. He intentionally didn't go and get them. He got people who were like-minded. It is an insidious thing to start feeling like our little way, our little group is the way. Our little group is the way that, that, that Jesus should be worshipped and preached. No, this is just what our little group does. And God is big enough that He's able to receive it from all sorts of people. But what He wants is the heart. What He wants is faith. Let's look into this, this issue of faith. Where, where I want to start is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So a few books before you hit Hebrews is 1 Timothy chapter 1. And reading from verse 18. 1 Timothy 1.18 This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they would be taught not to blaspheme. So look what he says to Timothy. Paul considered Timothy his son because he had led Timothy to the Lord. Now, Timothy was pastoring a church and he says to them, you are to fight the good fight and this is how you fight the good fight. You have to, in verse 19, keep faith and a good conscience. You must keep faith and a good conscience. And he says, be warned, if you don't keep a good conscience, it's going to cause your faith to become shipwrecked. He says, you have to keep faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Because they rejected a good conscience, their faith became shipwrecked. And he says, I'll give you two examples. Alexander and Hymenaeus. They didn't keep that good conscience. Their faith has become shipwrecked. And I've turned them over to Satan so that they'd be taught not to blaspheme. Before I get into this issue of faith, let me start with this issue of a good conscience. Because without the good conscience, it keeps our faith from ever blossoming. It keeps our faith from ever taking hold, and it will cause our faith to become shipwrecked. We must maintain a good conscience. In other words, there are things that you and I as believers have to do in order to maintain a good conscience. Learning to ask forgiveness for when we've done wrong. Remember that verse that I shared with you the other day, Proverbs 14, verse 9. Fools mock at making amends for sin. When we have done wrong, we must make amends. And if we say in our hearts, well, I'll say I'm sorry when they come to me and say they're sorry. Not going to happen. It means you're never going to say you're sorry. Because the world is not going to come and apologize to you. We are believers. Our call is higher. The expectations on us are higher than the expectations on people of the world. Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. You've been taught better, you do differently. It is that I teach my children. I said, no, we are a different family. You children know better than those other people's children. You don't do that. This family doesn't do that. We know better. We are different. 
So our attitude has to be different. I'll give you another example. Shireen and I do not watch movies that we wouldn't watch with our children being with us. So we don't you know, say, oh, well, when the kids go to bed, then we'll watch this, our movie. We don't do that. We won't watch what we won't watch with our children. And because of that, PG is about as deep as we can get. Once in a while, we'll go through a PG-13, but there are times on PG-13s where we'll begin to get into this thing and we just shut it off, and that's it. It goes right back to Blockbuster. There are things that we do, decisions that we make, because our conscience has to remain clean. We're not going to sit there like a bunch of hypocrites and watch this thing if we wouldn't watch it with our children. So there's a lot of movies that I don't know about. A lot of movies. And people understand that about me. In fact, people understand that about me before I even tell them about movies. In fact, I was sitting next to a guy on the airplane just this past week. And I was sharing the Lord with him and, and talking with him about faith. And, 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 and he was a black young man and, and uh, I was talking to him about the Lord. And finally, after a while, he says... You know who you look like? I said, no, tell me, who do I look like? He says, well, he says, I, I don't quite remember his name, but I, he was on one movie I know you've never seen. I said, well, what movie was that? He says, uh, 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> and I said, that's right, I've never seen it, but I was on an airplane that was showing a clip from it and so I know who you're talking about, and I can see the resemblance, but I don't think I'm as handsome as he is. But, but, um, but anyway, he, is, he knew, just by the way that I was talking with him, what movie that I wouldn't see. And he was right. We must maintain a good conscience, or we become shipwrecked in regard to our faith. I know another man, grew up in a Christian home, father, a pastor. Father and mother love God so much. This young man grows up, gets married, falls into adultery. He's confronted with it. At first he denies it. Then when the evidence is, is put forth, he says, okay, yeah, it's true. And instead of repenting, falling on his knees and repenting, he hardens his heart. He hardens his heart. He never confesses that what he had done was wrong. And what's happened as I've watched his life, and I've warned him about this, and I said, there's only one way out of this, young man, is you fall on your knees, you ask God to forgive you, you go to your church elders, and you, ask, you confess to them, and then you stand in front of all the people, the community that you have in that church, and you confess it and ask God to forgive you and ask them to forgive you. Public confession. I said, if you don't do that, you try to keep this thing secret, you will always struggle and you'll never come out of it. And sure enough, he's never come out of it. He's just in denial and continuing on this relationship on the side. He's become shipwrecked in regard to faith. You mess around with a good conscience, it's going to destroy your faith. Turn to, to Hebrews. So turn, turn a few more books and you'll, you'll hit Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men 
and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You see, we are to be at peace with all men and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We are to live a life that is worthy of our calling. That doesn't mean we never lose our temper. It just means we lose our temper and we ask forgiveness. But we are to maintain a lifestyle of sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart. Without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't live differently, people will not see the Lord in us. Verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. By it many be defiled. He says, don't come short of the grace of God. Do you realize how much grace there is in God and forgiveness in walking uprightly? How much grace, how much gifts there are from God in walking uprightly. Don't fall short. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Once heard a lady say, she's a Christian lady. She said, my sister did such and such to me, I'll never forgive her. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? How can you say that? Because the Bible says, in the same way that you forgive your brother, your heavenly father will forgive you. So you're asking God not to forgive you by saying that. Don't let a root of bitterness be there. You've got to get rid of that thing and give that to the Lord. Let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble by which many have been defiled. That root of bitterness will cause defilement. You don't want to marry a bitter man. You don't want to marry a bitter woman. You really don't. It is misery to be married to a bitter person. The Bible says, don't spend time with an angry man lest you pick up his habits. Don't spend time with bitter people or you'll pick up their habits. The Bible says, don't pick up another's reproach. What that means is that if, if uh, somebody has done you wrong, you tell me about the wrong that that person has done and then I pick up the offense toward them. That is picking up another person's reproach. Why is that particularly bad? Because if somebody has done you wrong, God is going to give you grace to forgive them. But if somebody has done you wrong, it's not my business to pick up that wrong because God isn't giving me grace to forgive them. That's an offense against you. Don't pick up another's reproach. So if somebody says, so-and-so did this thing to me, I'm not going to say, well, that bad person, I, I don't like them just for that. No, that's not my reproach. I'll tell you, learn to forgive them. Don't walk in bitterness. Get right with them. But we're not to pick up another person's reproach. Remember, this type of thing will stifle faith. It will cause faith to become shipwrecked. Verse 16 of, of Hebrews chapter 12. And there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Why is the author of Hebrews sharing this story with us in the New Testament? Doesn't he know that there's always forgiveness? Why is he sharing this story? Because he knows that the person, if he continues along this path, is not in a place to ever walk, to ever receive the forgiveness again. Not that the forgiveness is not there being offered. He's not in a place to receive it. 
If you walk in immorality, like I told you the story of this young man, if you walk in immorality, or godless person, this is the thing that's going to defile and break your faith. And even afterwards, it says Esau was, was just crying, but he found no place for repentance. Not that he couldn't have repented, there was no place for it. He would not have been able to receive it. This young man, he's going to destroy his life. I said, you've trashed your marriage. His wife is still willing to be with him. She just says, give up this other lady. I said, you trashed your marriage. You've trashed your family, who you love so much. And now soon you're going to trash your job too. And and, uh, this thing has a way of destroying lives. So we must keep a good conscience. Or it's going to destroy faith. Now let's look at faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So remember, the king's edict was, kill all the male children of Israel. These parents would not allow their son to die. Why? It says they were not afraid of the king's edict. Faith gives us boldness that the world does not have. I am amazed at how chicken some of my colleagues are when it comes to standing up for what's right. But they don't know the Lord, so there is no faith. Faith causes us, gives us great boldness to stand up in the midst of persecution. Faith does this. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So so here was Moses growing up in the house of Pharaoh. People thought he was Pharaoh's grandson. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. People would refer to, oh, there's Moses, Pharaoh's, the, the, uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He would say, don't call me that. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. Look at what faith does. Faith says, I stand with these people. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I am. I do believe these things. This is the group that I am with. You will be challenged one day. And it's happened to me on occasion, and it's happened to me just recently. You will be challenged by your colleagues. If you are in a discipline related to science, you will be challenged by your colleagues about what you really believe. Do you really believe this book? And my testimony is, yes, I really believe this book. This is what I really believe. By faith, we, it, it says that Moses said, I am not Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. If we reject the people of God and reject this book, we can have a more pleasant life in certain situations. But remember the testimony of Moses. That he rather said, I am one with these slaves, than to have all the treasures of Egypt were in his hand. In fact, he may have been able to rise up to be Pharaoh himself. To be a Pharaoh himself. But he gave it up. 
choosing rather to endure with the people of God. And it says he was looking in verse 26 to the reward. Remember, by faith we believe that there is a reward that awaits us. There are rewards in Christ. And by faith we receive those. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So he left Egypt, and he didn't fear the wrath of the king. You will find great boldness in faith. You'll look at believers and you say, how can they stand in the midst of that? Because of faith. If you exercise faith, there is great reward and there is great boldness. If you don't exercise faith, you'll keep quiet about who you are, and you'll remain a chicken. You want to walk in faith? This is what it calls us to. Verse 28, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as those who were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. So you see that by faith he kept the Passover. By faith the Jews kept the Passover. It meant something. By faith we do this. By faith I bring my family to church every Sunday, even when they were little and in diapers. And as soon as you're going out of the house with little ones, they throw up all over your back. But by faith we wipe it off and we go to church anyway. And I'm telling you this because the temptation of many young couples is, oh, the kid just threw up on my nice dress. I think I won't go to church today. Hypocrite. You wipe it off and you go. You smell like, like rotten milk, but you go. This is what mothers and fathers of young children smell like. This is what you do. You go. You take them by faith. You teach them the ways of God. By faith you do this. Verse 32 of that same chapter. And what more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, uh, um, shut the mouths, mouths of, of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong, they became mighty in war, and they put foreign armies to flight. If you read this list of men, Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Not all these men were the greatest guys. I mean, Gideon, remember, he was a real shy guy at first. He needed multiple, multiple assurances that this was God speaking. Barak. Anybody remember Barak? Deborah had sent him into battle. Deborah, the prophet, said, go into battle. And he was afraid to go into battle. He said, I'll only go if you go with me. Deborah was a great prophet and he figured, you know, if, if you're going to send me in a battle, you're going with me because if I'm going down, you're going down too. And Deborah told him, okay, I'll go with you, but remember the glory is not going to be given to a man, it's going to be given to a woman then. And she went with him. So Barak actually in his heart really wasn't all that bold, but he had a little bit of faith. And he exercised it. Samson, Jephthah. Jephthah was the, this guy who went into battle and, and, and came back and had, had, had wrongly, wrongly uh, uh, committed his daughter as an offering to the Lord in the sense that, that, that he said, whoever, whatever I see, whoever I see coming back, I'll offer to you. I mean, these people were just like us. This is what I'm trying to say. 
It's not just Samuel in this list. It's just regular guys. It says, but look what they did. By faith they conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. You want the promises of the Word of God? You need faith. You obtain promises through faith. They obtain promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness they were made strong. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. So many times in the morning I come before the Lord, I feel weak. And I spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, stir me up. Strengthen me up. And I come out boldly. From weakness they were made strong. Since they became mighty in war. They didn't become mighty before the war. They didn't become mighty in the training. They came, became mighty in war. When the war, when we are in the battle, we become mighty. Through faith. This is what it says Barnabas was. Barnabas was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. By faith, it draws us out of ourselves. Faith is something that constantly draws us beyond ourselves. It gives us boldness that we don't naturally have. Look what it says. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. This, to me, is so magnificent. What is my kingdom? Look, I'm not David. I don't strap a sword on my side and go out and kill Philistines every day. I, you know, I think I'll go out and kill a thousand Philistines today. That's not my job. God has a different job for me. You know what I do? I, I take on these research projects. And these are the kingdoms that I'm going to conquer. So this is getting a bit much. Maybe for you, but not for me. There are these problems that we are faced with that nobody in the world has ever solved. And I pray to God, God, give me wisdom, give me understanding, give me grace, and let us crack this problem. And you know what happens? Time and time again, we're the first to do it. To me, this is so exciting. This is why there's no other job that I would rather have. I love doing this research. And I'm praying to God, God, give us a breakthrough in this. And some projects, we don't have a breakthrough. But He then leads me to something better, better. It is a wonderful thing to go throughout life like this. To look at the challenges that are before you and to say, this is the kingdom that you have given me. Let me conquer in this kingdom. I stand before a group of scientists. I'm about to give a lecture and I prayed that morning, God, grant them into my hand. Let me speak with clarity. Let me speak with kindness and with love. Let them see something different in me and bless the presentation. Make it the very best of this entire symposium. And again and again, God ministers and He does it. And people come to me afterwards, there's something different about when you were speaking. Well, I know what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. By faith, we conquer kingdoms. God has that for you. Do you believe it? He said, no, I don't believe it. This is for David. This is for Jim Tour. No, that's not just for me. That is for you if you have faith. And this is what it says. Exercise it and He will call you beyond yourself. There's something that He has that can call you beyond yourself. Whatever is before you is your task. That is your Philistine to conquer. You see, this is the task you have for me. Father, let me conquer. And then walk in faith. That's who Barnabas was. He was a good man. 
He was full of faith. Faith is the exercise that takes us beyond ourselves, but we also must maintain a good conscience, or else our faith can become shipwrecked. We must have clean living in the Lord. That means when we blow it, we are quick to repent. When the Holy Spirit points something out that is a bad witness, that we yield to the desire of the Holy Spirit. That happens to all of us. That we yield, though, to His desire rather than to fight this thing because what it will do is it will cut off our faith. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of the Word of God. Father, thank You for the life of this man, Barnabas, that he was a good man. He could welcome in people from other groups and just bless them and encourage them to remain true to the Lord. Father, thank you for this man Barnabas that he was full of the Holy Spirit just overflowing in the task you had for him and faith because he believed what you were going to do in the lives of these Gentiles. Father, I pray for these young people that you would cause them to walk in faith and Father, that they would not become shipwrecked because they would because of a bad conscience, but, Father, that they would remain with a good conscience. That when your Holy Spirit points things out to them, that they would walk in truth. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. And, Lord, I commit them to you. God, bless them. And, Father, as many return from the Thanksgiving break, many of the students, please, Lord, have mercy on them. Bring them back safely. And, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus.